0: let's turn in our bibles to matthew chapter 28 matthew chapter 28 it occurred to me when i was uh, trying to decide what i wanted to teach as a special lesson that um, in this particular bible study there is a large number of very mature christian women and uh, i won't call you out today because that would be unkind but uh, there are a lot of people in this room that God has given you life experiences, time as a Christian, uh, maturing processes have gone on in your life, and you're in a position to do some significant things on his behalf. And so today I'm going to poke you, I'm going to push you, I'm going to shove on you, admittedly and up front, because I want to talk about the importance of you and I investing in spiritual relationships um covid and this whole process of of our world being somewhat turned upside down by a a, an international pandemic has focused for me uh, a lot of different things but in particular the value of relationships we've talked before about i'm not particularly social but i am very relational and and one of the things that's come to the forefront in my own walk in the last seven, eight, nine months has been the importance of, of me investing in, in single individual people. Not because I'm some sort of an expert or, or I've got all the answers or I you know, Bible answer woman kind of nonsense, but because I'm a little further down the path than some. I don't have to be very far down the path. I just have to be a few steps in front of them and be able to say, wait a minute, we're going around an edge here. Wait till so there's a dip here. I only need to be a little bit in front. But what happens in our circle is we look at passages like Matthew 28. And if you're there, look at verses 18, 19, 20. Matthew 28, the last recorded words of the Lord Jesus, kind of his marching orders to his church. He says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We read that and we say, that is great for pastors. Isn't that a great verse? Isn't that wonderful for those leaders that have gone to Bible college or seminary? They've been trained. They know how to do this. This is good. They ought to go do this. Small problem, and you're grinning at me because you know what the small problem is. This passage was addressed to you to me it wasn't addressed to the pros the professionals if you've come to christ and saving in faith and you're over a week or two old in the lord this verse is for you you are given a job an assignment you can't point to the professionals you can't point to the the gal down the aisle here you gotta you gotta take it as your own instruction You, personally, and I could name your names. I'll pick on somebody later. But anyway, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And therefore, Jesus says, you, go, make disciples. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. Oh, yeah, you do. Oh, yeah, you do. What we tend to do is we tend to say, well, wait a minute. I don't have all the Bible answers. I'm not sure where the dinosaurs fit in. Big clue. You ready for it? Nobody is we got some ideas, but we got no definites. Well, I I don't know where to find things in the Bible. Big clue. There's things called concordances. And on your phone, you can type in verse about so-and-so, and it pops up. You and I have tools at our disposal. There are no excuses for everyone within the sound of my voice to not embrace this lesson as me. It is my job to make disciples. Now, I, I wanna try to convince you of that today because I think it's what our world needs. We're all about what's happening in, in, our, in, our, in our United States today about our election. And, and if you talk to anybody on the street, I dropped my car off the car lot this morning to get repaired and the focus and the buzz at seven in the morning at the, at the car dealership was all about the elections. I gotta tell you, it's important. I am one of those junkies. I will be up all night with all of you but at the end of the day, that is not nearly as important as me taking to heart this lesson. Because what our world needs right now is not a particular government or a particular party or even a particular set of policies. What our world needs now is godly people grabbing arms with people around us and, and encouraging everybody on their walk. You and I are responsible for Matthew 28, 18, 19, 20. So let's talk about making disciples. What is a good discipler? Well, the definition of discipleship, and I gave you some blanks. This is to engage you today. How about that? So uh, discipleship is an intentional relationship in which we walk alongside other believers, and it could be unbelievers, but generally other uh, believers, who in order to, one, teach, two, encourage, and three, challenge Even if you said, well, I I don't know what to teach. Where would I go? Where would I start? All right, Fine, I'll grant you the teaching part might be a little bit of challenging. But how about encouraging? There's no one here that can't encourage or even challenge. And the teaching thing is a piece of cake. I just showed you on my website two Bible studies that you could gather three gals on your street. And I did all the work. All you got to do is read it and have a little discussion. Provide coffee and cookies and a little discussion. Discipleship is that business that says, it is so important that all of us move forward, that all of us get better every single day of making our lives more like the character of Christ, that I'm gonna lock arms with people and bring them along with me. I'm going to encourage them. I may not have all the answers. I may not have it all down pat, but I can bring somebody along. I can tell them what I know. The coffee cup version, if you will, in marketing for for discipleship would be simply defined as this: helping others grow in the Lord. Now, there's nobody that can't do that. Don't let Satan talk you into some sort of a well. Wait a minute, that's for the the trained. That's for the professionals. I need to, need to take another class before I do that. How many people are going to slip off into a a Christless eternity because you and I are sitting over here twiddling our thumbs? Trying to get you know somebody else to do the job how did how did Jesus disciple people well first off, he chose them he chose twelve he didn 't choose, choose one hundred and twenty he didn 't choose twelve hundred he chose twelve. I would recommend you choose one one a Gallic church that that 's recently started coming that you know is 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 uh, wanting to grow in christ but but is floundering a little bit. Choose one one. Saturday mornings, on the telephone, I disciple a college kid that that goes to uh, San Diego State. Interesting set of circumstances how it happened. He asked me some questions, and I said, well, you know what? I'll call you Saturday, and let's talk about it. Into that conversation, he said, can we talk again? What am I supposed to say? No, I like to sleep in on Saturdays. Sorry, too busy. You're going to ask me all those philosophic questions that I don't know the answers to. No, I said, sure. So at 9.30 Saturday morning, don't call me because I'm busy. I got a you know a 20-year-old on the other end of the phone asking me the toughest questions in the world. I keep telling him, I'll make a list. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I'll get back to you on that one. He's satisfied with that. In the meantime, I'm encouraging, I'm challenging, I'm throwing out an idea here or there. We're just walking along together. We're walking along together. Jesus chose 12. You and I choose One. One. One On Friday mornings I have a, a third grader and a fifth grader That come and sit on my porch now, The reason they come and sit on my porch Is because they couldn't come back to school this year and, and their mom was all worried about them Not being able to get their Bible lessons And I said, I'll teach them Bible So on, on Friday mornings Here they come Sit up on my porch And I'm going through 1 Samuel with them I don't spend hours developing those outlines. I read it the night before. I make a couple of notes. I'm good. I don't have to be that far in front of a third grader. I can wing it. So, so I'm winging it with a college kid. I'm winging it with a third grader and a fifth grader. I, I, I got a grandma that likes to spend some time with me. And we're, we're talking about some things. It's the highlight of my week. I love doing it. You say, well, Sherry, where did you get all those? You know what? I just told the Lord that in this season of my life, I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to say no. I don't have to work 40 hours, er- 50 or 60 or 70 hours a week running a school. So was there a third grader and a fifth grader that wants to show up on my porch? I got an opening. I am encouraging you or trying to encourage you to say, If you've known the Lord for longer than two two weeks, you are a prime candidate to be a discipler, to bring somebody along. There is so much material out there, you don't have to dream it up on your own. There are studies you can download, there are people that will help you, there are podcasts that will support you. But the bottom line is just someone to sit and talk through the issues of walking that path. Alright, so i got a, a, a little quiz for you here. There are eight little uh, true-false. You've got a pen. I'm going to give you a whole 30 seconds. I want you to put a T or an F in front of each of those. Is it a fact or a fiction? The statement there about discipleship. Go. This is going to be good on the tape. 30 seconds of absolute silence. Hmm. I should probably have planned that differently. true or false we're doing what they say in the media fact checking alright you're probably not done but let me read them first one discipleship is something I can do by myself just Jesus and me true or false it's false false I need help, you need help, everybody needs help. The Bible talks about where there's two or more gathered together, he's in their midst. He didn't say where you are. Now that doesn't mean that God isn't sufficient to meet you where you are. That is to say though there is a great strength in having two or more sitting down and having a spiritual conversation. second one says discipleshiping others is way too complicated and should be left to the professionals. Now you all wrote true on that and it's not It is not. A while back, I told you the story about how I led the First Lady to Christ in my life, Mrs. Martin. Do you remember that story? The punchline of which is I made that crippled blind woman get down on her knees next to her bed to get saved because the notes that I had from Bible college said, Have the person kneel down and pray. (laughs) And I was so stupid, I took it literal. Sorry, you can't get saved sitting in your chair. Get down on the floor. I can't wait to get to glory and have her laugh at me. I cannot wait. She got gloriously saved that day. And what did I know? Absolutely nothing. Discipleship is a program of the church. Oh, sure. Let's make it the church's responsibility. Is there a program for that? That one's false, too. Helping make disciples is fine if you find it rewarding. Suzanne finds it rewarding, but I don't. So it's Suzanne's job. No, false. It's the job of every believer. Seriously, I'm so busy. I don't see any way I can add it to my life. Okay, just take out one Pilates class. That's all I'm asking. Dump one Pilates class and you got a little time. Make it fun. But Next one says, to be a discipler of others, I have to become their best friend forever. We're going to be connected to the hip and I'll never get rid of them. It's not like that at all. People grow up. They mature. They learn how to feed themselves. Yeah, you might be there as a voice or a contact through a whole of all of life. Isn't that a wonderful idea? But it's not that they're totally dependent on you. Number seven says discipling others can be accomplished almost automatically just through Christian fellowship. Eh. Christian fellowship is a wonderful thing, but how about making it a little intentional, a little purposeful, a little "Can I help you along"? Can you help me along? And the last one says, Discipling is pretty much the same thing as mentoring. No. Mentoring is a totally different activity. Discipleship is just, Hey, we're on the same path. I'm about, you know, 10 steps in front of you. I I can tell you what's coming. Let's talk about it. Let Let me direct you to some things that have been a blessing to me. I've got some resources. Hey, have you looked at this? Can I pray for you? These are all healthy, important components to fulfilling Matthew chapter 18, verses 18 through 20. Now, let me, let me give you some guidelines uh, of what a great discipler looks like. It, it first off is a believer who is maturing. If you're sitting here listening to me right now going, oh, this is ridiculous, I'm never going to do this, that's telling me something about your spiritual walk, your plateaued. You're not, you're not going anywhere. You're not maturing anymore because you said, mm, not for me. That is not how the Bible is. You get right here and you think, all right, cool. He's not going to take me anywhere else. I've got this one down. Yeah, what happens? Those of you that have known the Lord for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, what happens? About the time you get all settled in, it's perfect. He pushes the ante up. He draws us in faith. Towards another goal, another perspective, another bit of maturing. So you might be a a believer who's maturing. You could be a great disciple if one. You clearly see the scriptures as central for every discussion. The scriptures are central to every discussion. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for, and there's a whole list... Those of you that are sitting within the sound of my voice, I know God's word is important to you, or otherwise you wouldn't be here. So if it's important to you, then you're primed to be a good discipler. Invite the gal down the street over for coffee and see how it goes. Catch that young college kid in church and say, hey, I'd love to have lunch. I, I had coffee yesterday with a, a gal that comes to one of the Bible studies I teach at my church. and. We, we decided to meet pretty early because she works. We were there at 7.30. And I assumed I'd be about an hour, hour and 15. At three hours, I didn't realize it. I hadn't even glanced at my watch. It was fabulous. And it was a wide-ranging set of conversation. Not necessarily a teaching moment. I went away encouraged and refreshed. She went away encouraged and refreshed. Last night we said, can we do it again? You're, you, you see the scripture as central. You are secondly willing to be obedient you're willing to obey and to deny yourself Uh, none of us like that that denying yourself thing no thank you self-control the ability to say to yourself no that is a hard thing to do on, on many on many levels we like what we want we want it now we want to have the right to have it now the ability to have it now But when we're obedient as children of God, we look at Matthew 18 and go, yeah, kind of hard to get around that. Yeah, I guess that is part of my resume. Hmm, got to get after that. I got to obey. I got to deny myself a little bit, stick myself out there, get a little nervous. I'm not going to die. Number three, you got to want to share your faith. You say, well, it's very private. No, it's not. It's not. It's the old illustration, if you had the pill that, that cured cancer. We've got several gals in our midst that are struggling with this. So, so I got the pill. I, I got it. I got it from, I don't know, where did I get it from? I got it from Costa Rica. I don't know how reliable it is, but I got it from Costa Rica. And it's, and it's, it's the pill that will cure all cancer. But I'm not going to tell you about it because I'm shy. I'm nervous. You might laugh at me because it came from Costa Rica. Are you kidding me? You'd have that puppy out. You'd be running up and down this, the streets of your neighborhood. You'd be, you know, anywhere and everywhere you could go. I got, I got it. I got it. I got it. Look, guys, either there's a heaven and there's a hell and people are going to heaven or people are going to hell or our Bible is lying to us. And our Bible is not lying to us, so in that reality, how about sharing the pill? Well, I might not see it all that right. Really? Pill, save you, swallow. I don't know. Pretty clear. Jesus, answer, heart. Good start. Bible, find something together. Sharing your faith. Number four, you have to be focused on other people. That's our big problem in South County. We are focused about moi. It's all about me. It's all about me. Don't You want me to do what? Wait a minute. That's not in my thought pattern or whatever. We're focused on others. We're interested in building biblical relationships. And we want to serve other people. It's not just me. It's not just mine. It's not just my house and my things and my per- perfect life. It's I'm looking around going, well, I don't know, does Robin know the Lord? I know she does, but hey, I want to I talk to Robin. Robin, I got a pill. It's a really good one. We have to be focused on something besides ourselves. Now, if we're going to take this seriously, there are a few temptations, things, things that pop up that challenge us. The first one is we have to be careful that this process is not about us. See, the whole reason we're nervous is because we think it's about us. They're going to evaluate my Bible knowledge. They're going to figure out I don't know where the dinosaurs fit. So get that out in the front, right? First, first time you sit down for coffee, by the way, I don't know where the dinosaurs fit. <laughs> Let's just get that right out there. And I don't understand the sovereignty of God. Free will of man, sovereignty of God, I don't get it. So let's get it out there. I'm being funny, but I'm trying to say, who cares? If you die dying of cancer, you want the stinking pill. You don't care whether it came from Costa Rica or it's got a blue wrapper on it. So we dare not make this about ourselves. We have to be proclaiming Christ. They don't need us. They need Jesus. It is not about me. It's not about you. It's about them and their relationship with the Lord. We have to point them to Jesus. We can't be Jesus to them. When we think that we have to be Jesus to them, that's a weight we cannot handle. That's a burden I cannot bear. I do not have the resources to be Jesus for them. But I can, I can do this, I can be a neon sign. I can say, well, this is what happened to me. This is where I'm at. Point, point, point to the Savior. Another thing we have to be careful about in this discussion of becoming a spiritual discipler is we have to not approach discipleship like it was a program. You know, there's three steps to it or 12 steps to it or whatever steps to it. It's rooted in relationships. People want to be with people. People. If you if you look around the room and you find someone that's interesting to you, you've had a short conversation and you'd kind of like to get to know them better, that's because we're relationship people. We were we were wired that way. When when God looked at his creation of Adam, the first thing he says about him is, Hmm, this is not good. It's not good that man should be alone. I, I, I gotta give him somebody. It's precisely that same way in every area of our lives. We are meant to be in relationships. This is not a program. This is not a five-step. This is not a, you know, a Tuesday morning save you situation. This is, hey, gay, uh, hey gang, I want to I wanna, I wanna have a relationship with you. And I want to tell you what's happened to me. It's as simple as that. When I made my presentation to poor old Mrs. Martin, I knew so nothing. It's not funny. But I knew what had happened to me. And I couldn't wait to share it with her. It broke my heart that the sweet old lady was going to end up suffering through her physical life and then for eternity not be with Jesus. I couldn't stand it anymore. Well, think about your next-door neighbor or the lady across the street or the man that delivers your something every Thursday afternoon or someone out of your, your background, your family, your, your high school relationships. Look around and look at them differently. Put a little frame up that says, Know the Lord? Eternity? Yes? No? What can I do? See, making disciples can be challenging. Very definitely true. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul used the word, I I labor or I I struggle. Yes, it's a challenge sometimes to, to try to share an appropriate truth with someone. And sometimes that crowds people a little bit, it makes you a little uncomfortable. But so what? This morning, dropping my car off. All right, the guy, of course, is going to talk about what today is in our culture, and uh, he brings it up and he says, "Yeah, a tough day. You know, the kid outside wants to take off and go vote. I don't know why he didn't vote before." And I said, "Well, at least he wants to vote. That's a good thing." And yeah, yeah, yeah. And inside my heart, I'm going, "Say something to him. Say something to him. Say something to him." Tell him it is not all about the vote. Tell him it is not all about who wins. Tell him about the sovereignty of God. Come on, say something. Open your big fat trap, Sherry. And he's going on and on and on. I'm having this little struggle inside of me. And finally we're getting up to walk out. And I went, now's the time. And he said to me um, something about, uh, it's going to be a long day. And I turned to him and I said, yeah. But the good news is uh, the Lord is still on his throne and he's in control. And I was waiting for the, uh, (laughs) what's coming now? And he stopped and he turned around and he says, and that's the way it should be, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have missed that little moment of blessing if my mouth had not opened up. What was the worst that was going to happen? He'd laugh at me. It is challenging to disciple someone, to encourage someone, to bring them alongside, to sit down with them. But there are so many examples in our Bible of people that were godly disciplers. I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians. This is a, a passage that hopefully will be a blessing to you and encourage you. 1 Thessalonians, chapter uh, 2. 1 Thess, chapter 2. Paul's talking about this church in Thessalonica. And, and the kind of relationship he has with this church. And he starts to describe it. How he relates to the people that he that he loves very dearly. Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse number 7. He says this. Um, let me back up to verse 6. We were not looking for praise from people. Uh, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead... We were like young children among you. And your little footnote down there will say, some, some manuscripts will say, well, we, were, we were gentle among you. Almost like a mothering relationship. Some discipleship relationships are like that. You're the gentle one. They're, they're going through whatever. They're bouncing off the walls. Their lives are a mess. And, and you get to come along and be gentle among them. Almost like a, like a mom would a kid. Why is it that God intended for there to be a father and a mother? Because there's such a different approach to life's issues. Example, your kid's playing, I don't care, t-ball. And the ball smacks him upside the chin. Watch the reaction of mom. Watch the reaction of dad. What does dad say? Walk it off, son. Walk it off. Walk it off. You got him. You got him. Walk it off. What does mom say? Honey, are you okay? Well... At times we need the walk-it-off message, and at other times we need the, honey, are you okay? And in a discipleship relationship, one of the ways we relate to people is like a mother, gentle among you. Look down at verse number 8, though. He says, so we cared for you because we loved you so much, we were delighted uh, to share with you not only the gospel of our God, but our lives as well. You, You became dear to us. Like a friend is dear. When you have really good personal friendships, those are dear. You're not messing with those. The little things of, 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 of difference don't matter because you are dear friends. I have some dear friends. Right this minute, we're on opposite perspectives on, on what's going on in our world right now. But we made a concerted effort early on months ago to look at each other and said, none of this matters. None of it. I don't care how determined we are in our own thinking about this or that. Our friendship is far more dear to us than that. When you have a dear relationship with someone and you begin to disciple them, you you have a relationship based on on friendship. Look at verses 9 and 10, though. He goes on to say, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and, and our hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. I didn't want to be a burden. I I, I wanted to be blameless before you, Paul says. I wanted to be a role model. I didn't want to be something that you'd go, oh, he's a hanger on or He's only hanging on because, we know, we have good dinner on Sunday afternoons. No, he wanted to say, wait a minute, I I want to be a role model. I want to be be somebody that's self-sufficient, that's not a burden. And lastly, look at verse 11. We're talking about the various ways that Paul was a discipler to these people. Verse 11, he says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his children. So we had the mother who was gentle among you, and we have here now like a dad who's going to step in and deal with his kids. And occasionally that is a little more sharp than, than mom might might do. The point is is that Paul's saying, look, I wanted to be a disciple of you. And and because of that, I was willing to play these various roles. Sometimes like a mother, sometimes like a friend, sometimes like a role model, sometimes like a father. If you're looking for some real-life Bible examples of disciples, I gave you three to think through uh, in, in your own time. first one was Moses to Joshua. Moses led the children of Israel right up to Mount Nebo. They're looking over into the promised land, but he can't take them in. Remember he smacked the rock when he should have spoke to the rock. And God said, "Nope, you're not going in." Joshua's going to take the children of Israel into the into the promised land. So what did Moses do? Well, oh, fine. Hope he hope he learns on the job cuz I'm not going to help him. No. If you start reading the latter chapters of, of, the, of the books of uh, Numbers and, and certainly Deuteronomy, you see him bringing along this young leader so that by the time they're ready to step into the, to the promised land, he's got, he's got, he's got uh, a background from which to draw. Another one to, to look at is Eli to Samuel. Eli is, is the high priest. Samuel comes on the scene. He's the little boy that Hannah prayed for. When he was old enough, she left him at the temple, excuse, yeah, no, nope, tabernacle, left him with Eli as the priest anyway, and, and it was his job to grow up in that environment. Eli poured into that young boy everything he knew about serving God. Those two little girls that show up on my porch, we have such a good time. But out of it, I hope at least they walk away going, you know what, serving God, reading the Bible, thinking about things of, of the Lord, this is a good thing. We have fun doing it. We enjoy it. I'm, I'm adding it to my knowledge base. I get a little assignment every week of something to do. We talk about in one pocket, there's something for you to think about. And in the other pocket, there's something for you to do. And this last week, the, the to-do was to obey mom the first time. You know, not, not 12 times later. I, I'm trying to build a relationship with those kids. We're going to blink and they're going to be leaders in our churches. So kids are worthy of it. Young people are worthy of it. Teenage girls are screaming for role models. Look around your community. Look around your church. Find a 20-some-odd who's floundering. And go buy him a cup of coffee. Elijah to Elisha. The, passage starts, uh, the story starts about them at the end of 1 Kings and then uh, the first part of 2 Kings. What's fascinating to me is just before Elijah's ready to go off the scene he turns to Elijah and says, or Elisha and says, what can I do for you? What are you going to need? How can I help you with that? That's the heart of a discipler. Where are you at? What's the touch point in your life right now? I, I, I don't have all the answers. I'm not Bible answer woman. I, I struggle myself. I've sinned in my own heart. I've struggles with the Lord. There are seasons in my life when I am sharper than other seasons. But, but what can I do for you? Your stuff might not be the same as mine. And when he asked Elisha that, Elisha answered, I need a double portion of your spirit. I can't do what you do unless I get a double double amount of God's spirit to do the work. And, And you know the story, he laid out how that could happen. There's some New Testament examples too. Jesus to his 12 apostles. He ate with them, he slept with them, he lived with them, he camped with them. You say, well, I, I can't disciple right now because I have a passel full of kids and I got no time. Really? Go camping with them. Do, do, a, do a potluck dinner, a progressive dinner. Do a whatever COVID will allow you to do, but do normal life with them. It doesn't have to be a special something another. Jesus spent three and a half years just living with those guys. That's why he can walk along and pick up a vine the night of his death and go, I am the vine, you are the branches. It was just, he's walking along, he picks something up off the ground and makes it a big teaching. We now know it is John 15, 14 and 15. But it was just a vine laying on the ground. Let's talk about this. You can't do that in your everyday life. Go shopping with them. Grab a cup of coffee. Go, Go do life stuff. And then I got two examples in here about Paul. Paul with with Titus is the first one. Oh, Titus uh, is, uh, is a guy who spent about 15 years ministering with, with Paul. And then Timothy, he, he was a young preacher boy that came alongside Paul, poured into him about 13 years. I think about uh, Erica and, and, and John and all their trips around the world with those, with those young people. How many kids have you taken in all those years? Estimate. 50? Over 100. Over 100. A hundred kids she's traveled around the world with for five months. You don't think there's opportunity to do discipleship when you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're irritable, when you're not. When they were, you know, trudging through wherever. The stories that she's got, the young people's lives have been impacted. She's just doing life. They're on a trip. Yes, I know there were special times when they studied and all the rest. But it was the life stuff that's going to be remembered. Not the syllabus. The discipleship that Paul had with Timothy... I, I want you to look at First uh, Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 1. It, it, it has kind of three phases to it, his relationship with Timothy. The first one in First Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1, he refers to him as... My true son in the faith. My true son in the faith. Phase number 1 in a great discipleship relationship... Is kind of parenthood. I, I'm, I'm the parent. I get that. Now you may not be older chronologically than the other person. We're not, we're not talking about literally being a parent. But in the Lord. You're further down the path than they are. There's, it starts off kind of parenting-ish. But then phase number two comes in. He talks about it in 2 Timothy chapter 3. When he talks about you know. You know all about me, you know about my teaching, you know about my way of life, you know about the persecutions that happened to me. In essence, he's calling himself what I called a pace setter. I stole that word from someone else, it's not original. Apparently a pace setter is that, is that rabbit in a dog run when they're doing dog racing. They, they, sometimes they're fake rabbits, sometimes real rabbits, but they get the rabbit out in front and the, the dog is chasing the rabbit and what happens is they use those rabbits to keep the pace up of the race. So they use them at strategic times when they know that the dogs are going to slow down. So they throw out the pace setter. In, in, in this sense, Paul was to Timothy a pace setter. When, when he started to lag a little in his walk, when he wasn't quite as energetic, when he wasn't as focused on spiritual matters, boom, here came the pace setter. Follow me, here, let's go. Might be just for a little while until the pace setter runs out of juice. But nonetheless, the pace setter moves things along. In a discipleship relationship, that's what happens. You start off often in a parenting kind of role, and pretty soon you're just the pace setter. Let's keep going. Let's go. Come on. And then lastly, it ends up your partners. There's a, there's a, there's a con- connection that, that now makes, like he says in Romans 16 uh, Timothy, you're my fellow worker, we're on par. We're, we're, we're partners. We're getting the job done together. Okay, so what am I trying to say? I think what our world needs right now more than anything is relationships, all kinds of relationships. And for as a, as a believer, I think spiritual discipleship relationships is the answer. You and I ought to walk out of here today and say, All right, Lord, who? I'm looking for one, not looking for 12. I'm not looking for 120. I'm looking for one. And start praying. Who is it? This is it my neighbor? The gal at, at church? Somebody I've met here at school? Someone in a discipleship group that I'm in that I could saddle up next to and, and walk a ways with them? Pray about who. And then when you get the who, then say, all right, Lord, what do we do? Am I just going to meet for a little while? Get to know them? Good. Not a problem. Pray with them? Excellent. Maybe identify an area that they're struggling with. Terrific. Go through a general Bible study with them. Sure. But it starts with the prayer. Lord who? Paul prayed for Timothy. That's that little blank right there in 2 Timothy 1.3. He also instructed him. 1 Timothy 1.18. He corrected him. There was a time when he used his relationship to correct him. He had to point out some things that were not so great. And finally, he took on the role of encourager. Bottom line, there is no joy on all of the earth. I know you think that childbirth was, your wedding was, when he got down on his knee and asked you to marry him, the day you were baptized, all of the big events in our lives. I get all of those. I'm not minimizing it, but I'm telling you, you want real joy, you disciple someone and watch them light up. In their walk, and encourage them then to go out and get someone else and disciple them. That's the multiplication of the gospel. Me to you, you to her, you to him, him to them, and the gospel goes out. That's the answer our world needs today. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this lesson on the importance of taking to heart Matthew 18. We are to go, and we are to make disciples. Help us this week to pray through who? One, bring them them into our mind, Lord, and let the connections begin. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for coming. It would have been no fun without you. But I have a second lesson. Not really a second lesson, but I want to draw your attention to a passage for today. Turn with me to Daniel, the book of Daniel. You say, Sherry, why are we in Daniel? Don't you want us to go to, I don't know... Romans 16, um, some of the other passages about government. Nope, I want you to see what happened in Daniel chapter 4. Because my heart, like yours, is beating a little faster today. My analytical mind is, you know, I've been uh, Xeroxing off charts for the last week and a half, uh, swing states, Precincts, which number, you know, which county is more important? What did they do last time? What will be the sign if they do it this time? Yeah, I'm one of those. But you know what, guys? The sovereignty of God is what you and I need to be thinking about today. The sovereignty of God. And I want to give you an example that maybe will resonate when when you turn the tv on and it's blatant and blatant and blatant you can turn it off at least for a little while and say to yourself you know what i need to remember what was in daniel so i've got you in daniel i want you to to chapter four daniel chapter four so in daniel chapter four king nebuchadnezzar has a dream and it's a doozy it's a doozy of a dream And he's all worried about this dream and he's not sure what it means and and it doesn't look look good for him and he's not sure what's going on and I'll let you read the details of the dream because that's not germane to my point. But I want you to look at verse number 17. He's still describing his dream. He says, uh, The decision is announced by the messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict. Okay, good. So that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth And gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Now some in this crowd would define the lowliest of people one way. And some in this crowd would describe the lowliest of people in the other party. I don't think it matters. I think that what Nebuchadnezzar is describing out of his dream is, wait a minute... The living need to know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. And he gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Him, Lord? You'd put him in? Yes. He is sovereign. Look at another passage. Look down at verse number 25. Now, Daniel is interpreting this dream. And he's telling him, you know, you've got a real problem here, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar, because God is going to hold you accountable in a big way. As a matter of fact, you will be driven away from people, and you will live with the wild animals. Oh, this is sounding good. You will eat grass like the ox, and you'll be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge... Nebuchadnezzar, you're in a wail of hurt until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over. What's he sovereign over? All kingdoms on earth. And he gives to them anyone he wishes. Well, not him. He couldn't possibly put him in. Yeah, good. could. Keep reading. Verse 26. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when, what? You acknowledge that heaven rules. Tonight, when it all is flashing across your screen and your friends are screaming at you, and what about this one and what about that one, I want you to hear that word. Heaven rules. Heaven rules. Yes, if you haven't voted, go vote. Vote your conscience. Encourage anyone you know to vote. Drive them to the polls. I don't care. But at the end of the day, heaven rules. And if you take that to heart, you're going to approach this whole day, this week, in an entirely different mindset. Heaven rules. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful that heaven rules. I, uh, I am the quintessential example of someone who would get in a deep dither over the events of today. And I am convinced that the way for me to hold all of that in abeyance, the way for me to control me, is to think about you and your sovereignty. At the end of the day, you rule. Thank you for the truth of that, for the the example that's there in Nebuchadnezzar's life. I don't want to be stuck outside eating grass for the rest of my life. I want to acknowledge that you rule.